Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. I'm in a change room in Auckland uh, above my theatre which is the uh, basement theatre in Auckland and this is my introduction. I don't normally record them in public but I wanted to get this one out ASAP uh, because I know it's a day or so late from my normal semi-regular routine and I'm trying to get into a much more regular pattern. So thank you everybody who's been donating on Patreon um, which makes it so much easier for me to get things out and get them done and get them funded in terms of my hosting costs and getting my guests tea. It's really a wonderful thing for me. Email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com and also tweet me on at alliterative tweet me on tweet me at at alliterative uh, if you want to have any comments a couple of people have been asking for a solo episode i will get on to that um next week i'll be talking to tessa waters and then after that i might do a solo episode because i'll be traveling to london and i'm not sure if i'll have the time to lock somebody in when i arrive what i'm saying is i'll probably be jet lagged is the likely scenario but anyway, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And if you don't support me on Patreon but would like to support me in a way that doesn't involve money, always tweeting about the show, tweeting to the guests is always nice. And leaving nice reviews, if that's what you want to do. If you don't, feel free to keep listening. I will keep doing it, uh, whether or not you do. So don't feel pressured, but it would be nice. Thank you. Uh, I will talk to you next week. You are having tea with Alice. Hi everybody, it's me again. I'm sorry. I'm at the airport and I'm editing together this podcast and I've realised that the Zoom file that I had in my little HN4 funded by my glorious Patreon subscribers has gone. I don't know where the file has gone. I don't know how to fix it. So luckily I had an iPhone backup. I tried to double record just in case of this very thing happening, but the sound quality is not as good. It's just on my little iPhone 6, which was sitting on the table as a sort of a secret backup. I think the conversation is interesting enough to put up anyway, and I've done what I can with the sound quality. I'm not a sound editor. I've probably done it somewhat wrong. So if that's something that really bothers you, there's a it's in a large sort of open space and there's some ambiance. You can still hear what both of us are saying, and I think it's worth listening to. But then I would, because it's my podcast. I'm going to put it up anyway and put up another one in the next few days because I feel like if you don't listen to this, I don't want you to get sort of left out of the loop. Uh, I'll put up another podcast with uh, Tessa Waters because I've got that one in the can, but I'd like to put this one out anyway. Thank you, everyone. Uh, back to regular, scheduled, slightly lower-quality programming. You're having tea with Alice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an hour of just me talking. Ah, we can bring this in closer. Okay. That's all right. Um, uh, so, uh, why don't you tell the listener who you are? Uh, hello, I'm Eddie Dever. I am a, a comedian, uh, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. I live in Auckland. Do you think of comedian as your primary thing? No, I don't, but I thought that maybe that was like your theme of your guests. No, so, no. no? Cool. Interesting kind of, people. Uh, well, in that case, I'm not really a comedian. I, uh, I currently I work in kind of digital stuff. I don't like to put a label on what I do because I feel like, I don't know, I guess as soon as I do that, I'll be stuck doing it forever. So I just okay, refuse so to like label myself and explain, have a skill set. Explain your skill set and then just say, I can apply it wherever you want. 
me to apply it. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So then it's not the the project itself, but the use of the tools that makes you happy? Or are there more like things that you like more than others? I think I value variety, and I value actually more than that, value flexibility. Uh -huh. So I don't ever want to be get to a point where people are like, oh, you do that, so you won't be able to do this. Uh, I much yeah. prefer to be like, oh, I have a skill set that broadly sits in this space. See, uh, that's a really good way to... I feel like that about what I do. I feel like what I do is words, but that's so non-specific. Yeah. That I, I'm like, well, comedy or, you know, sort of... Totally, but I can turn things. my hand to any number of different things if you want me to. If someone's like, can you write something? I know you normally do stage work and you call yourself a stage comedian, then you're like... I could do lots of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can anything with words in it. I can usually do. Yeah, that extended actually. That my, my love of this flexibility started um, when I was at university, and I refused to just do the courses for like one specific degree, and instead yeah. would just take the papers that I found interesting, and then I'd go to a course advisor every sort of eighteen months or so, and. Like, may I have a degree yet? And generally the reply would be, no, you've done too many disparate things. Yeah. Of course you can't. Uh, that's until... what university used to be. Exactly. Right? That was the point of it, that you would expand Ex your mind. Totally, and get some like new experiences. Because I think all too often people just chase uh, a specific band of things that probably they're already reasonably proficient at as well. I think yeah. often people are like, oh, well, I've been pretty good at accounting thus far in high school, so I'll just do three more years of it and then I can be an accountant. Yeah. Uh, and I can't think of... I, I, I can't justify that to myself, particularly considering the cost of tertiary tuition. I was like, I need to learn new things. I need to figure out what I'm not good at as well as what I could be good at if I, you know, knew about it, which I haven't thus far, you know, explored it, and all those sorts of things. That's interesting, the degree that I did at Cambridge, the master's thing, the part of the appeal of it for me was that you did, it was in the English department, but they gave you a choice for your third unit of every semester to do whatever you wanted from anywhere in the right. university. So you could take an abstract maths course if you thought it would apply to your, or history or whatever you wanted. And then you could also just sit in on other courses and lectures and that was the amazing thing. Like you'd just go to like an Umberto Eco lecture if you wanted to. And that was what appealed to me. And I did that as well, just sitting in on other lectures. Was what was the wildest thing you sat in on? Uh, like a super advanced maths degree. <laughs> I dropped out of maths in year 10 and I can't understand. But by that point, like if you're in like a super, like third year Cambridge maths, pure maths, yeah. and it was actually more like philosophy at that point. Oh, right, yeah, they were past the point of learning about how the numbers yeah, yeah, fit yeah. together, and now they were discussing... Like, we're just, yeah. yeah, just it was basically physics-level maths, and it was super interesting. I didn't understand any of it, but I really enjoyed being there. I have an intense love of physics. Oh. It's like my favourite thing in the entire world, and I've spent as much of my spare reading time and thinking time uh, as I can manage, which is not as much time as I would like, frankly, but uh, reading and learning about physics. And when I was at university, I took lots of physics, physics courses. courses. Let's move if this not... out of the way, because it's getting in the way of your tea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The most critical part of this whole thing, the tea. The tea. We've got uh, two green teas, which they've delivered with that weird thing where they've just given us a pot of hot water. Yeah. Nothing says great green tea like a French flag on the front of it. <laughs> Well, yeah, the package of green tea, I can't say, is my favourite delivery mechanism, but if you come to Sydney, I'll take you to my favourite place. Uh, the lovely silk bags, though, like yeah. that. That's classy. So that we're getting mixed messages from this. 
they should, you know... It's a real roller coaster. It's a real roller coaster. The plastic, the plastic packet to well, the silk first bag. First of all, not delivering it in the pot is a no-no for me. Yeah. And then, secondly... Individual pots, though. Individual his, pots his is and quite his good. Pots. His and especially. They're not hugely gendered, but... And I brought nuts as well, in case you haven't eaten, because sometimes if you have too much tea on an empty stomach, it makes you feel a bit queasy. I did that the other day. I went home from work. Drank too, too much, much green tea, tea before 10.30. Make you feel a bit sick. I got into real trouble with this um, thing at university, though, mm. taking random courses, particularly ones I didn't sign up to but just went to and listened in on, one of which was a physics course uh, on relativistic and quantum physics. Mm -hmm. The relativistic physics, I was like, it's a particular thing that I love, and so I was kind of on top of it to a certain extent. Didn't quite follow the maths all the way through, but didn't need to, could, could get the gist. They read maths, uh, they read mathematics though. Good physicists, it's incredible. They read it off the page like words. Yeah. And can like find all those things that Mother. I remember sitting in a maths class in high school, like struggling for a quarter of an hour over and then Get eventually cracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My problem with maths is I always sort of guessed. Sort of a very instinctive learner. So if I, I feel like if I absorb enough, and that's what I always do with my languages. <laughs> Like French and German and Italian, you just listen yep. to enough and then you can kind of do it more yep. or less. Yeah, and the one that seems about right tends to be the right word. Or close enough? Yeah. yeah. Can't do that with math. No. Apparently. No, especially once you get past a certain point <laughs> where you're like, like, I can kind of, you know, multiplication, you can take a good swing at it. Well, that's but. one of the reasons why I do comedy is because I wasn't good at it to start with. <laughs> and I wanted to see if I could get good at it. And it's not that something that you can sort of absorb intuitively. It's something you have to really work very hard at. Totally. I think that's a really interesting... I think that's... I, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of active practice as well and how most people... You know, something like maths, actually, people kind of know that you have to... If they want to get good at it and they want to take it seriously, they're like, of course, you're going to have to practice and learn how this works. Mm. But the more abstract the skill the less people hold those values true. Mm. And they'll be like, ah, comedy. It sounds like it's just kind of saying things that are funny. I guess I'll just do it. And all of the arts as well. It's mm. a, uh, there's this really interesting thing that happened during the Enlightenment period. Do you follow that at all? Well, you what, need to be more specific. Well, just an interesting thing that happened during, during the Enlightenment. Enlightenment. Uh, that, that, uh, particularly with the romantics that happened, the idea that art was divinely inspired not a craft, but that you, God put the idea in your head, or that it was about the flow, it was about natural... You were the hand of God, essentially, yeah, executing kind of, his... Or nature, or whether you believed yeah. in it or not, it was some sort of non-rational thing, and in some ways creativity is non-rational, but on the other hand, there are ways of getting better at doing any given artistic task. Totally. But I think it's done a real disservice to the kind of worker bees of comedy, or any art, like the people who just do the work are always kind of getting shoved aside from people who are just talented. Totally. Totally. I um, I take a lot of inspiration from Guy Montgomery. Yes. Yes. Um, he's been on my podcast. Has he? Yeah. Lovely man. He's a very lovely man and his approach to comedy I find absolutely fascinating, particularly when he was first starting out where he would record his sets and he'd do several sets a night. He was living in Canada and would do several sets a night, record them uh, and I think he'd often improv a hell of a lot of it mm. and then listen back and pull out the good bits and do kind of a refined version the next night and just kind of was actively practicing his craft. And now he's, I think, 
one of the funniest girls in the country. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, and I, I think that for me, particularly for comedy, like, illuminated the idea that you can practice and get good well, rather than just doing it lots and assuming that you will. A number of people who think, well, I'm the funny guy in my group or I was the class clown and therefore oh, I'll be good at comedy. Always the worst comedians. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> you can pick them at, like, raw nights. Someone who's had, you know, six years of everyone at his office being like, bro, you are so funny. You should do stand-up. You, are, you should do stand-up. You should absolutely do stand-up. Do it. Oh, there's an open mic. You should do it. And then he's like, all right, I will. And it's always just the worst thing. Oh, terrible. And then and they the never people who can accept that they're <laughs> terrible and then get better, who are the ones who get better? If you can't accept that you're terrible, you will never get better. No. So you actively went out of your way to avoid a linear learning process and now you're trying to avoid a linear career or...? Uh, I guess so. I also just don't feel settled. I feel like one day I'll find a thing that I'm like, I love that. Mm. Do that forever. But I certainly haven't found that thing yet. Mm-hmm. I also really like working... I like technology. Mm-hmm. I really like working in new media kind of stuff. And so... Let's go to bro. Yeah, I'm the worst. Every time I every time I read um, sort of really bad characterizations of millennials, instead of being like, "This is not doesn't ring true at all," I'm like, "This is me. Oh God, this is me." <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm. Oh, that was a very interesting choice of putting your tea bag into your cold glass of water. Well, I finished, I mean, it's in the pot. I've got it strong enough that I want, as, as strong as I want it, because I've already had quite a lot of tea. And then why waste a good glass of water? The tea leaves are warm enough that I'll have, then have a nice sort of tea-flavoured water. Okay. I mean, I'll probably... Don't judge I'll me. probably do the same somewhere along the lines here. Maybe Don't judge me. I'm I've been surprised by people's weird jokes. But that's true. You've done this before. You've done this a lot before. Um, no, that is a weird thing and, and not something that I recommend to for the listeners at home, it's advanced, <laughs> advanced tea consumption. You've taken it out. Okay, so it's just a, a mild infusion. Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Got obsessed by your tea practices. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about linear processes. <laughs> yeah, that's not me. <laughs> See. Um, and your your difficult idea being something. Pardon. Is that. Do you have a difficult time explaining that to other people? Or? I guess so. I think there's a lot of pressure to name your thing. Mm-hmm. And as I was kind of saying before, especially when I'm working in new media stuff, as soon as you land on something and you're like, like there's a whole bunch of people in our generation who are social media experts. Yeah. And I really feel like in about five or ten years that's going to be a really antiquated thing to be skilled in yeah. because people who are born today or it have be been second born nature last, of course that you need to employ someone to do no and I guess there are always like how there are comms professionals now who are skilled at using words uh, there'll be people who are quite good at using the internet but mm. I don't think those jobs will exist in the same way and so I I'm very wary of being putting my flag in the ground and going this is what I do yeah um and so I just float around. I found the best approach is to um, take new roles, you know, newly created roles. Yeah, and then you get to define... Because then you get to define it. You get to do whatever you want. <laughs> it is a good way to do it, to be on the, the cutting edge of whatever it is that you're, you're at. Totally. 
then you also get to shape the future, which is quite exciting. But, the, okay, so the, the real difficult thing here is that that means, well, I found myself working in a big corporate organisation during the day. Mm-hmm. I do my comedy at night, and I work in a big corporate organisation during the day, and um, I hate it because it's so structured mm-hmm. and it's so prescriptive, and I really struggle with what what corporate culture means in society today and why it's there and whether it will ever shift away from... Because it's not very human-centred, corporate. Like, the idea of how a, a big business runs mm. is not very human-centred. It's not... doesn't really take into account people's well-being or their um, general health or their own priorities. It's... This, we've somehow fallen into the system of that's what you do and we do it because that's how life works. Yeah, you sublimate human need to the needs of an imaginary entity that can only measure profit. Totally, and it's not even it's not even a transaction anymore of like, well, of course, we'll reward you for your time. Uh, it's just become this, like, if you don't have a job, you know, for, for a large portion of, of um, the people who are graduating high school for example the expectation is just that you will get a nine to five monday to friday job in some kind of business yeah and i find it really i don't know there's no opportunity to question that like no one is there's no method that seems to be challenging that idea at all and there's you know there's fringe shifts like uh tech companies tend to be a little bit more flexible on hours and but I, I don't know, it seems like there's good reason from a human perspective to challenge those assumptions and secondarily the way that the world works is changing in terms of I think a lot, Alice, about robots taking over jobs. Well, this is the thing. We actually do live in a post-robot revolution world. I mean, post-industrial revolution, really. We All of our needs, more or less, can be met with very low labour costs. Totally. And jobs, are, you know, it's been happening for a really long time that jobs are being taken over by being automated. Yeah. Like, I get annoyed. I don't know whether it's the same situation in uh, Australia, mm. but here I get very annoyed if I have to deal with a person at the supermarket now. Quite happy, quite happy scanning my, my own self-scanning, self-bagging, pay with the machine, leave. And I'm not an antisocial person, but I've just, that's become normal for me. And when that's not available, I find that really inconvenient, I guess. Yeah. Oddly. Um, and that's only going to happen more and more. And so, I don't know, the idea of working nine to five is becoming more and more... I feel like we're su- the, the, the solution that society is looking for is to create more opportunities to work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, instead of going, oh, maybe we won't have to do that anymore. This obsession with creating jobs in a society where, well, I mean, the idea that the capitalism and it requires constant growth. I think this is my a theory I came up with a little while ago, and I think it might be an insane theory. I don't really know enough about the subject, but I think... Capitalism worked for a long time, partly because we had more resources than we were using, and partly because there was a hangover from feudalism. So feudalism, this idea of hierarchies, this idea of loyalty, noblesse oblige, if you were up the top then you have to give back, 
capitalism itself has no soul and has no responsibilities other than to the the bottom line. Well, it has no face. Is the critical is the, is the critical issue. As soon as you're obscured by you can't then take you know if the Lord misbehaves, you can't then get the villagers together and drag him out of his castle and burn him at a fire. Totally. Like, there's nobody who you can do that. And to. even more subtly, um, there's a there's a, a Princeton academic uh, called uh, Anthony. I'm going to screw his name up, but it's something like that. And he uh, writes about the idea of honour as a methodology of, um, or method of transacting in social contexts. So, um, and that's kind of got a broad remit, I guess. But like, in those sorts of circumstances, we, if there's a face at the top of that hierarchy, that person can become dishonourable by not giving back, and yes. that's how they. And there are within that system, there's num- a number of loyalties, and 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 all of those things hold those systems together. But if what is what I think is happening now, a capitalism is becoming more faceless. B uh, feudalism is moving further into the past, so that we don't remember it. It's not part of our social structures. It's falling away. And what you're left with is something that is completely unsustainable from a human perspective. Capitalism doesn't work without that side push of, of religion or this, what my theory is feudalism, these, these kind of loyalties and social bonds that override the dollar. Totally, and I don't think they're inherent in capitalism but they are a they are considered a key measure, measurement, like a KPI of <laughs> little three letter acronym for you uh, of, of capitalism and so I think there's this this um, goal, this arbitrary goal of more people doing more things for more time, where actually if we look at outputs, then all of a sudden, you know, I guess as a, flip, flipping the flipping the, um, the lens on it, as a creative person, I'm like, well, I would like more of my time. You know, if I could live to the same standard and have more of my time, that'd be wicked. Yeah, and you're producing the same amount with less effort. Totally. So where is the loss to Where is the loss? So if we can create the same, like, outcomes for everyone, then does it matter if we're not hitting those arbitrary like benchmarks? But then what happens is, because people are invested in this kind of growth system, the quality of life becomes, inc- the ideal quality of life, or the standard quality of life becomes increasingly elaborate. So things like locally sourced, you know, coffee beans become a standard thing that people expect to have, that kind of cuisine, master chef, lifestyle you know, gym membership, all of those things become normal That's and accepted true. as a baseline <laughs> middle class thing. And, and humans will arbitrarily choose, have, yeah. the, have the ability to also, yeah, even though it might not make any difference, they'll be like, no, I want them to be picked by, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. by hand. And you're like, oh, well, it's easier to pick them by the machine, they taste the same. And, and the like, reality no. is we live better than kings would have 200 years ago. There's more variety, we have more nutrition, we have more health, we have everything, transport can do more things than even the kingiest of kings would have ever. We have Nikes. We have Nikes. We have very comfortable shoes. Very, like, so comfortable. Yeah. You look at castles. They're not super comfy. They're quite cold and crafty. Yeah. And it, they were the best on the market. Even when you time. go to, like, yeah, and you go to, like, those medieval kind of, here's exactly what it would have been like, and you sit on the chair, and you're like, did, did they have cushions? Yeah. Can I please have a... Yeah. Where, uh, an Ikea chair is more comfortable. Yeah. They didn't even build it like ergonomically. It's just like straight wood, straight wood. Yeah. Sit on that. Throne. Boom. Yeah. Greatest person in the country. Sit on that thing. Terrible. 
so it is, it's interesting because it, on one hand we should be all working less. Objectively, we should be working less and having more leisure time and you know, that kind of Keynesian idea that we'd all work 15 hour weeks and then improve our minds. Totally, and have creative time because then you allow yourself like opportunity to be creative and to whether the, whatever field, you know, even if you're a... Um, Beat it, poet? Yeah, well, well, even if you're outside of, like, the creative arts. Yes. But you still have time to think about what it is you want to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you love your dog, you have time to, you know, find cool ways to have fun with your dog that you didn't otherwise, where you were phoning it in and just walking around the block. Like, Hang out with your family or... Totally. Figure out if your relationship is actually sustainable or <laughs> just being held up by... Plentiful free Wi-Fi. Too, too busy to break up. Uh, yeah, I genuinely think there are some people who are in pretty unsustainable relationships, but because they have Netflix, <laughs> yeah, and, and nine to five jobs, they never have to actually engage with each other. Come home, chuck on a, chuck on a s- series or something, and never talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm, sh- I'm certain that happens. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I reckon if you took the Wi-Fi out of a city for three weeks. <laughs> breakups through the you, roof. If you were a divorce lawyer, that is your goal. You've got to just take out the Wi-Fi and then you're you're set for three years. Yeah. That's <laughs> that would bring new meaning to break the internet. A divorce lawyer just really trying to make some coin. Um <laughs> I like that. So you drink green tea, you were saying before, it made you sick. Oh, yeah. I actually have relatively recently got heavy into it. Mm-hmm. I get very much onto, um, onto fads of food. Like, I eat, I'll find something I love, and I'll just go very hard into it, very mm-hmm. deep into it. Um, a few years ago, I discovered a love of porridge and ate it literally for most meals for a couple of months and now I can't really eat it anymore it's sort of ruined for me uh, and green tea has been a recent I've always liked it but then I had it on an airplane the other day I was like this is exactly what I need in my life and then I had about four cups the other morning you can go deep into like very good I mean my thing is Japanese green teas oh very, yeah very very good like really nice uh, well treated leaves like yeah. a good a good mix yeah yeah, I, I'll, we can nerd out about that at some point. I, I like that too. So do you wear the same thing every day or do you wear different things every day? <laughs> Is this because yesterday I was wearing the same thing as what I'm no, wearing right now? I wear the same thing every day and I'm interested in other people. I do actually tend to find a pretty, like... A uniform. I find, I find a uniform, especially when I'm working. I really can't... I don't like giving the headspace in the morning to what I'm going to wear for two reasons. Uh, one, because I've got better things to think about, and two, because I like to squeeze absolutely every second out of my morning for sleeping. I really am a alarm, have a shower, put my clothes on, leave, because if I don't do those things in immediate succession, I'm definitely going to be late. Okay. Like, I, it's, it's a finely tuned machine okay. in the morning, and there's no time for faffing about trying on three things, trying to figure out what I want to wear. I'm... That said, sometimes I will definitely like make enormous screw ups and turn up to work wearing like blue pants and a blue shirt, and it's a real it's a real handful. I'm interested in men's fashion because I can't really tell what's what. 
like I don't I don't understand the language of men's fashion in the way that I do with women's fashion. So what people are trying to say about themselves with particular I feel like men men's fashion generally is trying to say a lot less about every like it's trying not to say anything. That's What's, it's trying to not say anything with like. you get a strong sense of what somebody thinks is neutral. That's yes, exa- exa- that's exactly it. It's like, thing. where's your middle ground is sort of where the statement comes yeah, from. Your chinos and your boat shoes, if you think that is the baseline, that's a very interesting uh, statement about you as a person. Yeah. Are you showing your ankle or not showing your ankle? I'm not showing your ankle. Yeah. I had a man uh, on my flight over from Melbourne to uh, Auckland, and I got onto the plane. So before the plane had taken off, he had taken off his pink boat shoes mm-hmm. and so he was bare feet bare feet it's a big call yeah not into it next to me pink shorts pink boat shoes no socks feet out before the plane had even taken off like I think shoes off is five hours into an international flight I'm all about shoes off love shoes off but socks on ah uh, interesting so if you don't have your socks on you I don't know put your feet away I'm right? a shoes off indoors person because of the kind of Asian heritage bit um, but yes I think before the plane's taken off is bad etiquette like you need to be you wouldn't like flying with me I think I think you need to give it like until the plane's taken off and then you make yourself comfortable but there's a little bit of like sitting on the tarmac you need to have some decorum some decorum afterwards you're committed and you're kind of well we're in each other's space this is home now I guess we're we're all yeah, we've eaten a meal together yeah. I've slept next to you yeah or even, even Maybe just, I can take my shoes off. Even once you've finished uh, the, ascension, the, ascension. the Ascension, once you're on a, on the plateau of the skies, then it's fine, it's fine. You can start whatever it is, unhook your bra, I don't care. It's something about the boldness of the statement. Before I'd even found my seat, he'd claimed the space with his smelly feet. I think of... Okay, yes, so it's the smelly... That's that's the barrier for me. For, for me, I genuinely think about it in the same way of the shoes off at the door kind of thing. Mm. Like, for a long flight, I'm like, I'm going to spend a few moments arranging my life, and then I will minimise my impact on you. Uh-huh. So I'm like, I take my shoes off, I will, you know, arrange my pillow, I'll get my headphones out... And then I'll never have to get up for the next four hours. I'll pee in a bottle. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, actually what I do is drink about 17 glasses of water before we get anywhere near halfway. And then I will go to the toilet about 17 times. Yes, which is good to stop you getting deep vein thrombosis. That's that's how I think of it. I'm sure the people behind me are just like, that man (laughs) is definitely smuggling drugs because he's been to the toilet too many times. Are you an exerciser on long distance flights? I'll get up and stretch quite a lot. Mm. I like to stretch. Like what level of stretching? Like subtle stretching? <laughs> it's like some, some do, loud, just some loud kind I'll, of... Noises. I'll do like full astra squats on it. Oh, you're like all about your own personal... You don't want to You don't want to die from some kind of blood clot. Well, I just... You don't need that. I go mad if I sit still for too long, I think. And so I'll just do proper stretches. And I won't get in someone's way. I won't be doing it on their seat or something, you know, lunging into their 
into their face or something. I'll, I'll go into the area that's designated for weird people to stretch in, which is sort of just off it's the galley behind the Off the, the galley with a, yeah. with a flight attendant is watching you. Yeah, yeah it's extremely it. uncomfortable. Yeah. You make some small talk about how long their day's been. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Or you can just do the face of just like, I probably have an injury, so you shouldn't think this is weird. Yeah. Like, there's a face that you can make that implies that if you don't do this, you might fall in half at yeah. some point. There's a couple of faces which all do the same job. One's like, you know I have to do this. And the other one's like, don't even ask. Yeah. Or, don't even ask about what I'm up to. No, it looks weird. It is. The, the, there's the face that you do when people ask why you're not drinking that implies that maybe you have serious alcoholism in your family. Yeah. How do you... Because you don't drink, right? Mm. How do you approach that? Do you feel like um, you've gotten very good... I have lots of friends who don't drink. Yeah. And I feel like it's quite a learned skill, particularly if you did drink at one stage. I don't know whether you fall into that category. But, like, of excusing yourself from not drinking like does that culture exist in Australia where people are like weird have yeah. beer mate dog yeah sort of I think I've somehow reached a point in my life where I seem to other people to be very certain in myself and in my decisions there's a way that I deliver language or something that's quite like I know I, so if someone says do you want to drink and I say no thank you yeah. they believe me yeah I think that's definitely that's definitely the the clincher right if you go Oh, nah, I think I'll just get a water. Yeah. Like, go on, bro. Here it's really bad. Lots of, lots of... I spent a few months last year not drinking. Yeah. And um, it's bizarre how often people try and convince you that you should be drinking. Very yeah, odd. Yeah, I don't know what that is. And I've gone through that at various points. I think now... A, it's more acceptable for people to refuse and sort of the health benefits and so on, more awareness of, of things like alcoholism that, you know, might make you not want to. It's more acceptable to be, like, a healthy person like that, as that as a, as a real pursuit uh, or a, a priority that would over, overcome having fun. Um, but I think... <laughs> you just put... You framed healthiness in the bleakest terms just there. <laughs> a pursuit... <laughs> A pursuit of not having fun. Well, it's all, it's all in, relatively... In lieu of having fun. It's all relatively futile, but uh, I think... I don't know. One of the interesting things about healthiness or kind of the hippie movement, which has now been relatively, like, adopted in mainstream society, all of the, you know, organic and all of that, people are okay with that. When, that, yeah. when, uh, when I was a kid, that was really weird. And my parents were into that because my mum was sick and so they were pursuing these kind of hippie alternative... Yeah. How can you just live a good, holistically, yeah, like, but good lifestyle? That was weird when I was growing up. That wasn't norm. Um, and now it is. One of the interesting side effects of that is the way that... Do you have that attitude to Prince Charles? Of, like, he's a bit weird? Yes, and I, I suppose sort of so. slightly embarrassing? Yes. So I think that that came up with, when he was obsessed with organics and, like local farming and he had his own little things and hobby farms and stuff and people thought that was really weird and sort of lefty wussy I didn't know about that yeah. and maybe that's why I was a bit apprehensive about agreeing I, like, I, I am aware of the like Prince Charles is a bit of a weirdo don't give yeah. him the but that's like, the thing throne. those principles have all kind of been mainstreamed but the attitude that, that arose out of them him having those ideas early has stayed so even though all of the things that people thought he was weird for doing are now normal, the, the, the like he's still a bit weird and you know wussy and somehow you know not not quite the thing has has remained. It's such a weird holdover. Yeah, 
Because he's quite a strong and Prince uh, William and Kate Middleton, I guess, being a, a picture-perfect couple has added to this. But there's definitely a strong movement for uh, just skip him in the in the hierarchy, right? Just yeah. go straight to King, quick King Will's. Yeah, it was because he had all these weird, embarrassing ideas about organic food and like Didn't know that. local preserves Learning. and that you could play music to plants and have them respond and all of that stuff. And people just thought it was really weird. Wait, wait, wait. back up. Back <laughs> up. Um, are you a royalist? Like, you, oh you... no, I don't. I don't have an opinion. I don't think my opinion matters one way or another, and so I can't be bothered having one. I feel similarly. They're like entertain. I, I feel like. Maybe for our generation as well, there's that element of... I, I, I feel very detached from them being in any power at all. Like, I just feel like they're just a celebrity couple. Like, they may as well be the Kardashians. Yeah, in, in, some, in some ways. The Kardashians doing arms deals. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also think that sort of we're moving incrementally away from nation-states as an organising principle for society. Like, you... I feel more in common with a fantasy nerd from Oklahoma than I do with Barry down the road playing AFL. Like, there's these kind of alliances and loyalties that, you know, my brothers in England, and all of all of those things sort of have become more diffuse and there's not that. And they're such arbitrary... That I always am fascinated by the way that those things manifest as well. The, the, especially the um, nationhood... In, when you're in a foreign place, I find it the weirdest thing in the world that, like, if you were just walking down the road in your home city and someone just, you bumped into someone they were like, hey, listen, I've got a great recommendation for you. This show is awesome. You'd be like, yeah, okay, thanks, mate. Like, whatever. Uh, like, if, if, you know, apropos nothing else, no context. But if you were in a foreign city and you met someone from Australia or me from someone from New Zealand and they told you that, you'd be like, of course, I'll absolutely do that. What an amazing recommendation. Yeah. Just because they're from the same country as you. You don't know anything about this person. You don't know what their like interests are. What their taste what is. What their taste is. <laughs> but all of a sudden, if you bump into them, you're like best mates. Based purely on... Your Australianness or yeah. New Zealandness. Totally. Like, I guess it's maybe shared values. Some kind of shared values. I don't know whether I have a shared value set particularly with large swathes of the people in my country. I think the sort of invisible ones, things like just etiquettes of being around other people. So that's one of the reasons why like Australians get on with New Zealanders and Canadians because we have these sort of underlying vibes that about how it is proper to talk to other people, what politeness is constituted of. Like Yeah. I was actually listening to a podcast just the other day about the differences between the way that Americans or uh, American English and British English uses please and thank you, oh. particularly please, uh, where uh, British people will say please for the smallest things. People who speak British English, I guess, which probably includes, us. yeah, uh, you know, you'd say, could you please pass the salt, where an American would only ever use please or tend more to use please for big things. Please can have a raise, where British English would tend to avoid please in those circumstances and instead say, um, you know, like, 
I know it might be, or, or, or a big favor. Yeah. Like, I know it would be a lot of trouble, but I'm wondering if possibly you could leave me your car tomorrow. Yeah, to say please would seem sort of weirdly degrading. Yeah, can you please leave me your car tomorrow would be very presumptive. Yeah. Where Americans would be more likely to use, like, please. Yeah. You know, like a big, you know, kind of a, a um, emphatic kind That's of. That's really interesting. Uh, imploring. I also found the use of, like, politeness as aggression in American culture was huge. Right. The way that, that like police officers will talk, please Matt, please, please, please remove your, <laughs> it's just in a way that is not friendly. And an Australian police officer would say, oh hey, sweetheart, back off back, or whatever it is in a much yeah. calmer and, probably, and less you, aggressive way. Because you do, like you hear that language in you know the, the awful kind of arrest videos, you're yeah, quite yeah, yeah. You know, aggressive, where I don't ever imagine a New Zealand police officer it's saying please, and that, yeah, by please, that stage, yeah. they're like, bro, yeah. <laughs> Put your hands on the car. Yeah, do it. So I find that sort of the false politeness a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't spent much time in the States. I feel like I'd get on quite well with Americans, though. I feel like... I say I haven't spent much time in the States. I've never been to the States. I plan on going this year. Um, but I feel like I will like Americans. I like people who are really straight-talking. New Zealanders often aren't very straight-talking. You think of diplomacy as a sort of a weasel words or what do you mean being cir circumlocuting around your point yes totally totally do you and find that frustrating you'd rather well that's a very tech person thing <laughs> <laughs> hey I'm not a tech person don't box me oh up. don't box me in man. don't tell me who I am I'll tell you who I am um yeah I, I think that's why I feel uncomfortable with comedian right what do you so what what if someone says, "What do you do?" and that you're at a hairdresser, like you don't you don't have any skin in the game of this person fully understanding you I as don't a person. Get haircuts. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, in some other context, yeah. what do you put on the on the um, on the slip you have to fill in when you enter a country that says occupation? Writer slash comedian. Okay. Or I'll put lawyer because I still technically am. Right, and that's like if I need especially to if like... you get into a country that they might not let you in that easily. Yeah. yeah. Lawyer, they're like, ooh. Right this way. Yeah, exactly. But it is that weird thing where I sort of almost want to roll out my resume straight off the bat, which is a weird thing to do. But just like, yeah, that thing of don't don't assume that just because I'm doing this thing now that defines me fully and wholly. I've just devised a vocabulary of um, ways to describe my what I do that essentially don't mean anything. Uh, and so, very concisely, I can just sort of bamboozle people until they mm. assume that I know what I'm doing. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, yeah, like often I'll tell people I'm a creative strategist, and they just be like, "So, there you go, deal with that." And they'll not ask any more questions because they assume that it's that they're just ignorant for not knowing. But really, I'm not sure it means anything without much without much more context. In some places, it means something specific. I'm a directional alignment expert. <laughs> yeah, I work mainly in synergies, <laughs> ideas. I'm an ideas man. Oh look, uh, there's a sculpture in here that looks sort of like terrifying bats have invaded the building. Yeah, or a, a, a um, horde of people are simultaneously throwing uh, boomerangs from various levels of this hotel. Or a lot of tiny, tiny, tiny elves are hang gliding. <laughs> in all different directions. It's chaos up there. It's absolute scenes in the sky. This this hang gliding festival 
frankly should have been held in a more open space. Yeah, they definitely needed to have some more safety regs in yeah. place. Next year they need a little bit more funding and they just need to find out. Libertarianism gone one step too far. <laughs> yeah. How's this, how's this thing organised? Do we all go at the same time? Or? <laughs> I don't know, mate. Just do what you like. Just get up there. Get involved. What are you, pussy? What are you? Yeah, it's pretty scary. There's a lot of people out there. Just fucking go. I feel like I might die. Yeah. Listen, if you don't go now, I'm going to push you. <laughs> I, I, it's always odd talking about visual things on a podcast, but I feel like we painted a good word picture for... I feel like that's going to be very confusing. No, I think we described it in enough different ways and across enough different. Did we actually axes. say that it's a that it's a sculpture, or, did, yeah, or yeah, people yeah. just okay? It's a sculpture, okay. And, and 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 I think we described it in enough different ways that people could sort of get there. Get there. I love to see what what people are imagining right now. Yeah, maybe draw a picture well... of what you think it looks like, or Google it, it Google and put together an, a, a Pinterest yeah, mood board, <laughs> uh, if, you, if you're not a drawer, of what you think we're looking at right now. <laughs> Pinterest mood board? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> gestural, directional, I guess it's something like a combination of these. All of, the, all of the captions are just like, maybe this is the shape <laughs> of the actual individual elements, and this is what the hotel's this is like. This the flock looks Right. Yeah, this is the face on the on the of the confused hang gliders. There's not that much detail in the face. Spoiler not, it's, alert! It's more abstracted. There aren't any human figures. Uh, the human figures were pasted on by my uh, overactive tea-fueled imagination. <laughs> your, your your podcast listeners are really struggling by this stage. They're all driving home, being like, "What? What are they talking about?" What is that sculpture? You've just got to come to Auckland. You'll have to come to Auckland. Have come a look. to Auckland and come to the what the, hotel? The, the Rendezvous Hotel. The Rendezvous Hotel, which gave us a tea which was mixed in its messages yeah. uh, and two bowls of warm nuts. I have to take responsibility for, for us ending up here as well. It's well, my fault for screwing up the timing. It has tea and it's perfect. This is perfect. It's, it's fulfilling all of the objectives that I wanted to achieve. Uh, where can people find you online? Probably the best place to find me is on Twitter. Yeah. I am at Eddie Dever at Twitter. That's E D D Y. No one spells it right. E D D Y D E V E R. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Not like a person's name, but like a little whirlpool. D E V E R. No spaces. Um, that's mainly where I hang out on the internet. I'm, despite working in new media, very bad at being on lots of social media platforms. Um, I just can't handle it. I've got barely enough time in my life as it is. It is. It can be a massive time sink. Totally. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a thing. Uh, once I turn off the, the microphone. Um, <laughs> but why not tease it while the microphone's still why going? Why not tease it that <laughs> way? Uh, yeah. Email me on alisarfraser at gmail.com and I'll tell you what I was going to tell him about. Um, otherwise, thank you everybody for listening. Next week I'm talking to Tessa Waters. Uh, you'll be having tea with Alice.